Yes, Lord, we want that to be true. We want that to be true of our, our lives. We want it to be true of our time together today. We want it to be true, Lord, at work this week, that it's all about you, Lord, and not about us. And we want it to be true of these uh, offerings, these gifts that you've enabled us to give, as well as the other money that goes out of our accounts in different ways to your work here and in other places. Lord, we pray that this may be for your glory and for your fame, because you are great. And Lord, the whole world deserves to know how great you are and what you've done. And we want your name to be glorified. And we pray that that may be so as we look at your word and as we continue in your presence and as we give and do all the other things that we do. But Lord, we want it to be about you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're invited. That's what we've called um, this series. Today we're thinking about coming near. As uh, Louise said, this is a, a series we're doing together during the holiday period about, I think it's about six weeks, um, maybe a, a bit more, certainly up, yes, five, six weeks, up till the beginning of September. We're looking together, as uh, she said, at a book from the Bible that probably uh, you've not studied in detail before. Maybe one or two of us may have done so. You know, it's not on one of those LPs. Now, that's what I call Bible books, you know, two, 2010. If you were on a desert island with only a book from the Bible to take, probably this wouldn't be the book that you would take, because it is, in fact, the book of Leviticus. Leviticus, and, and from what you, you may have heard of it, or maybe you have dropped into it uh, at one point or another, it seems to be all about animal sacrifices and the kind of laws that seem to be a little bit strange to us. Stuff about what makes certain things clean and unclean. And, and people tend to think of it as a really obscure book of rules and regulations. Well, it can be a bit obscure, and there are rules, but actually it's not primarily a book about rules and regulations at all. It's actually part of the story of how the Israelites in the Old Testament of the Bible got to know God better in the time of Moses. And, you know, that's really what the book is about. That's about uh, other bits and pieces flow out of it, but how they got to know God, how he was part of their lives, and what difference that made. And I guess, you know, how do we get to know God? Getting to know God is something that maybe a few of us, maybe all of us are intrigued by. How do I get to know God? What does it mean to have God in my life? Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we, we might look out in the culture, and, how, and we know that you know, a lot of people would, would love to know, what, what it, what's it mean to have God in your life? You know, we're into a phase now where, you know, it, it, it's okay, it's almost a little bit cool to talk about God, you know. What does it mean? How do we get to know him? What's it going to look like to have God in our lives? And, and in a way, the book of Leviticus is a bit about that. Now, obviously, it's a, from a different time and a different place and, uh, you know, we're not going to start, you know, doing all the stuff like killing animals and so on and so forth that they did in Leviticus. But, but the principles, the stuff behind it all, we'll find, I hope, that there's a lot that we can learn from it. Well, let's get into it. We're going to have a look at the first couple of verses of Leviticus. It's the 
um, what's it, is it? Third book of the Bible, and on your Bibles, if you're using the one in nearby to you on a seat nearby, it's on page 102. Page 102, and we're just going to look at it uh, together. I'll read it if you'd like to follow on. Leviticus 1, verses 1 to 2. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. That's as far as we'll go for now. The Lord called to Moses, it said. Now, if we had a Hebrew Bible in front of us, I don't read Hebrew, but this is what the scholars tell me, um, that actually the very first word in the Hebrew Bible is the word called. God called. The Lord called out. And the idea is, it's it's a kind of God summoning, inviting Moses to, to come near. He's saying, this is important. There's something I have to say. And you notice he says, it's not just to Moses. He says, I want you to then speak to the Israelites. There's a message here from God for all of the people. It's important. They're hearing it too. And the whole thing, the whole book, begins with this amazing invitation to come near. It says you can bring something. You can actually come near to God, he's saying. Which, as we shall see, is quite remarkable. You can bring an offering. The word for offering has behind it the idea of drawing near. Again, in the Hebrew language, the two words are quite similar. The one for an offering and the one for drawing near. There's this amazing invitation from God to come near to him. So God is not just speaking to Moses, but to all of them. There's something he wants to say to all of the people. He's saying, look, you're all invited to be part of something. It's an open invitation to you. But what is it that they're being invited to? Now we need to step back a bit to get some of the backstory. Because Leviticus, again, if you were reading this as a Hebrew, if you knew it in the, in the original, so the scholars tell us, it just kind of reads on. It just kind of follows on from the previous book, which is Exodus, which is an amazing story, as we shall see. We'll get into it in a minute. It's a very dramatic story. And this is saying, okay, it carries on. It carries on from there. We're in the middle of a story here. It's the, the page uh, in the NIV. There's a gap between page 101 and page 102. Is actually pretty unhelpful because the whole thing just follows right on. It's meant to be read like that. So what exactly is going on here? God's speaking to Moses from the tent of meeting. What on earth is that all about? Well, it's really high drama, and we need to find out why it's drama by stepping back, because we need to think together a bit about um, the... uh, Hold on, we've gone on too far there. Um, I think we're out of... No, we're fine. That's where we should be. Part of the Exodus story. We're going to go back and... Now, remember the story of Exodus? If you've seen the Prince of Egypt, you'll uh, know the general outline of it. You know how the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so on, were in uh, Egypt. They were slaves. They were there for 400 years. 
And they got kind of trapped down there. And the story of Exodus is about how God rescues them. Remember how God uses Moses to lead them out of slavery. God does the rescue, not Moses. But Moses is the one that leads the people forward out of Israel. It's a very exciting kind of story. Now, we want to go back into it now. When, when they get to the... We're looking at Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 25, by the way. God's promised them a new land. He's saying, you're on the way to the land. The, the kind of exit from uh, Egypt was, we're going out to worship God in the desert. And they get out to the place in the desert, a place called Mount Sinai, where they're coming to worship God together. And God speaks to Moses. Actually, it's the same phrase that's used. God says something very dramatic. Let's turn to it, and it's on page 76. So just turn a few pages back to chapter uh, uh, 19 of Exodus on page 76 uh, of the Bibles. Verse 1 of chapter 19, page 76. This is what happens. So they've come out of Egypt. They've been rescued. They've come to the place where they're going to meet God. And uh, it's the third month after they left Egypt, they came to the desert of Sinai, verse 2. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob. Very much like we've just read in Leviticus, isn't it? It's a similar occasion. Verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. What do we see here? We see God's passion for the Israelites. See how he talks about his great love for them. See the language that he uses. He says, I, I carried you on eagle's wings. I brought you to myself. See what he's saying there? He passionately cares for them. That's the first big thing behind the whole book of Exodus, is that God is passionately in love with people like us. He loves the human race. He loves people. That's what's behind this invitation. And as part of his love, in this big speech, and as he calls out to Moses here in Exodus 90, what's he telling them? He's telling them, first of all, that they've been rescued. He said, I've rescued you. You saw what I've done. I've brought you out of Egypt. And then he says that I want you to be in a special relationship with me. Did you see that? I've brought you to myself. He says, I want you to be a special nation. I've got this role for you in the world. I want you to be a kingdom of priests. Priests were people who in the culture kind of brought the people to God and God to the people. And, and God says to the whole community of Israel, I want you to be like that. I've got this role for you among the nations, this special relationship. You've been rescued and you've been brought into relationship. It's amazing. He's so passionate for them. And then, uh, all through the other, the next few chapters, uh, Exodus 19, 20, 21, and so on, there's all kind of details about how this relationship is going to work until we get to chapter 25. Uh, turn over to that. That's on page 83. And in the course of all of his instructions about how their community is to be formed around God and how they're to be holy and different, all that kind of stuff, right in the middle of it, uh, God says something else to Moses. Verse 1. Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. 
You're to receive the offering from, for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you're to receive, and there's a whole list of stuff. Then verse 8, what are you going to do with these offerings? Verse 8, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make a tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. God says to them, there's something else. I want you to make me a kind of mobile home, like a mobile kind of tent temple. God is saying to the people, I'm going to dwell right with you in the midst of your community. You're all living in tents. I want you to make me one kind of thing. And he, makes it, uh, he gives them instructions, detailed instructions, uh, to make this special kind of place which will represent what? God's presence with them. He's rescued them. He's put them in relationship with him. And now he says, I want to be right with you. I want you I want to be, I'm going to have my own tent right in the middle of your camp. And it's going to be a symbol of my dwelling, my being at home among you. So they've been rescued. They're in relationship. And now there's this promise of his presence with them. Does that remind you of anything? It's what being a Christian is all about, isn't it? What has happened to us as Christians? We've been rescued. We've been brought into relationship with God. We know what it is to be loved by him. And we have the promise of his presence with us. And that's all happened through Jesus. And it's all spelt out in the New Testament, isn't it? It's promised, this is like a shadow of it. This is what the Israelites knew. And it's pointing on to a day when rescue, relationship, presence will be something even better in this what the Bible calls the new covenant, the new way of knowing God through Jesus. Well, back to Exodus, there's a lot of drama here because the Israelites, if you know the story, actually sin greatly. In fact, even while Moses is up uh, talking to God at the mountain down below, they make an idol, they make a golden calf and start worshipping it. They blow it really big time. And there's terrible judgment that follows. And God says to, to Moses, okay, Moses, it's all off. Forget it. You know, it doesn't actually say this, but the kind of message is, what do you, you know, the, the ink is hardly dry, you know, or rather the, 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 the grooves in the Ten Commandments are hardly kind of free of the dust of whatever there was. And they've broken it already. Oh, I'll just make, yeah. God says to Moses, you'll be okay but I'm just going to wipe out the rest. I've had it with them. And Moses, it's a very dramatic few chapters, comes back and intervenes with God and God relents and God says, okay, it's back on again. That's all in chapter 32 to 34. Until we come to chapter 40. So let's move on to chapter 40. This is our last excursion in Exodus on page 100. So it was, uh, they sinned badly, there was judgment, uh, they were nearly blew it completely, but God kind of starts up the, or, or in, actually inaugurates another covenant, a new covenant, a new old covenant, if you see what I mean. And there they are, back in relationship with God again. And then in chapter 40, uh, the tabernacle, this, this, all these bit, this mobile kind of temple uh, tent place is all ready to be set up. They've made all the bits of it, and there's lots of interesting bits that go to it, but we won't go into that now. But verse 40, chapter, chapter 40, verse 1. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. And he tells them what to do. There's the ark of the testimony, verse 3. There's, there's the lampstand, verse 4. There's a curtain. There's a, an altar, verse 5. There's an altar of burnt offering, and so on and so forth. You can just read through that chapter, not now, but you'll see all the bits and pieces. Moses, God says to Moses, Moses, now's the day. You know, when you get your new, new tent, although... I don't do much camping, so this is going to break down. You, know, you get your new tent from wherever you got it from, at uh, that great place at Hedge End. I went there once. That was an awesome place for camping and stuff. You, know, you unpack it, and you, all the bits there, and you've got the instructions, and you, and you put it up. And it's a bit like that with the tabernacle. All the bits, gold bits, bronze bits, curtains, uh, walls that are made out of canvas and stuff, and animal skins. It's all there, and it's all set up. God says to Moses, now's the time. <laughs> get it out of the box, metaphorically, or it's all in piles, and put Put it together. Okay, that's what happens. It's all done. Verse 33. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the court. And so Moses finished the work. It's all set up. Then there's a problem. We should now have a heading that says problem. Exodus 40, a real problem. Before the, before that. <laughs> anyway, that's okay. Don't worry. How we'll we'll look at chapter first uh, forty, chapter thirty, verse thirty-four, chapter forty. What happens when it's set up? Then the cloud—that's the cloud of God's presence—cover the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's what the tabernacle, some people think it looked like by night, because <laughs> it had that pillar of fire. So you can see what it is, a big area surrounded by um, kind of a, a canvas or, or walls. Uh, there's an altar at the front there. Just to give you a bit more detail, you see there's an outer courtyard and then there's a, a, an inner tent. You see it's been cut away on that diagram. The outer, the bigger part was was uh, holy, only the priests could go in there, but the other smaller part was even more holy, and only the high priest could go there once a year. That kind of uh, cubic bit, you know, the, those two sections are what are called here the tent of the meeting, and like the, and the whole structure, thank you, thank you Howard, you can see that the whole structure is called the tabernacle, those two inner tents are, 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 the, are the tent of meeting, it would seem. So what actually happens well, there's a problem, isn't there? God's glory <laughs> fills the whole place. It's awesome. God's presence is overwhelming there. God keeps his promise, as it were, and, and turns up big time. And it's so powerful that Moses, it says, can't get into the tent of meeting. He can't go near it. It's too awesome. It's too marvelous. It's too glorious. God is too powerful there. The, the, the cloud of God's presence just overwhelms it. Now, Moses knew a lot about God's glory. Once, you know, in that section, when, when they rebelled against God and he was kind of negotiating uh, them back into God's presence and, and love again, Moses in Exodus 34 asked God if he would, could see his glory in the midst of their crisis over their sin. See, that's the problem, isn't it? God is glorious and holy, as we shall see. But we're sinful. We're not like God. 
Not just because we're creatures and he's the creator, not just because we're infinite and he's, uh, we're, he's infinite and we're finite, but because he is holy and we've got stuff that's wrong in our lives. And when um, Moses asked to see God's glory, God said, you can't see everything. I'll let you see what as much as you can see without burning up into a crisp. <laughs> it's in chapter 34. And as God showed him his glory, God declared his name. God made this declaration. And in Exodus just chapter 34, verses 4 to 7, it's coming up, so you don't have to turn to it. This is what the Lord said to Moses. The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to a thousand, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That is the problem. God's glory, his holiness, but how can we get near him? Because he can't just turn a blind eye to what's wrong. Otherwise, he wouldn't be the holy, glorious God, would he? If he could just turn a blind eye to our sin, it's only a few bits up until he's turning a blind eye to the sin of Hitler and, 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 and others like that. Others so-called, really, we think of really bad people. There's, we're all on the line. You know, I may be down this end, you may be down that end. Uh, Hitler may be up this end, out in the building, but we're all on the line. So there's this problem, God's glory, our sin, God's declaration there. And if Moses couldn't get into the place, how can anyone else get there? See the problem? Imagine you're an Israelite. You know, you've had this offering, you've bought all your jewellery, you may have been a craftsman, you've helped out, you've, you've helped got, get the tent out of the bags, you've set it all up. It's all that you've been working for. It's there, God's here, right in front of you. He's with you. He's great, he's glorious, he's forgiving, he's holy, and you're sinful. And you know, it's at that very point that Leviticus chapter 1 starts. It's very dramatic. That's why there shouldn't be a page gap. Because at that very point, imagine you're the Israelite, you hear God speaking to Moses saying, so I've got something to say to you, and I've got something to say to the Israelites, you can come near. Can you get the dramatic effect of it? Because not only is God passionate, not only is there a problem, but he has a plan. There is a plan. The problem is not the end of it. Can you get the relief if you're an Israelite? Thinking, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, if Moses can't get in there, how can I get, get anywhere near God? And then to hear God speak. To hear that there's something for all of you, that actually you can bring something there is a way that you can come. There's an invitation. That the presence of God needn't just be a cloud in a tent that you can't go anywhere near, but that you as an individual uh, worshipper can have some involvement, some connection with the living, holy, glorious, mighty God. Let's look at what the invitation says then. What they hear is this, when any of you, verse 2 of Leviticus 1, it's possible for any of them, at the time they needed to, to draw near to God, to bring an offering. And where is this offering going to come from? It says here, from the herd 
or the flock. Now, the Israelites were people who kept herds and had flocks. Part of your everyday life was looking after your herds or your flocks. God says, something from your everyday life connects with me. I want to be part of your everyday herding life. That's what God is saying to them. If you're really poor, as we shall see next week, you haven't got herds, can't bring a cow, that'll be a bit, or a, 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 not a cow, a male calf. If you can't bring a sheep, well, you can bring a pigeon or a turtle dove, if you're really poor. Interesting, remember when Jesus and uh, Jesus' parents went to the temple to give thanks to God for his birth? Do you remember that? Do you remember what did they take? A pigeon, a turtle dove. Why? Because they were poor. You can come to God when you need to. God wants to be involved in the whole of your life. And then God gives them a way. God shows them the way. He tells them, look, there's not any old way to come to me. It's not up to you to decide which is the way you rather fancy coming. God's saying, look, I'm going to tell you the way. There is a way. I've made it possible. But it's my way. You're going to have to listen to me here, guys, and come the way I show you. That's a really important thing, is it? The people of, the, uh, of the, all the cultures around them were used to sacrificing. They did sacrifices. Some of them uh, even sacrificed their own children to their gods. Horrific things that were going on in the cultures around them. There was plenty of knowledge out there about what sacrifices and offerings were. God says, no, I'm going to tell you, you come my way. You listen to me. I've got something to say here. That's what God is saying. They can get near to him. They can know his presence. They can get stuff sorted out through the offerings that they bring. And we shall see more about them next time. Now, this is not a new idea. Many of these uh, people would have heard the stories of of how um, Adam and Eve sinned. You might know that story from the early chapters of Genesis, how their relationship with God was broken. Remember the story? They're naked and uh, they they feel shame. Um, They feel out of relationship with God. They're out of relationship with one another. Stuff's been spoiled. And they're banished, actually. God banishes them from his presence. But, you know, before he says kind of goodbye to them for a while, he did something. Do you remember what he did? He clothed them in animal skins. An animal died so that their shame, as they felt it, could be covered. So the idea of of the death of an animal in order to, to cover shame was not new to them. It goes right back then. Later we'll see in Leviticus that God will explain to them that the blood of the animal that is shed would actually atone, it would cover sin, it would pay the price that needed to be paid. Do you remember when Jesus walked the earth, John the Baptist saw him one day? In John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist said, Look, the, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, We won't go to it now, but sometime look up Revelation chapter 5, right in heaven itself. There is talk at the centre of the throne of God, of a a person who is seen as a lamb that's been slain, a lamb that has been killed. And the people around that throne of God in heaven, in Revelation chapter 5, are worshipping the lamb 
who has, it says, purchased people from every tribe and nation and made them to be a kingdom of priests. What did God say to Moses he would do for the Israelites? He said, you'd be a kingdom of priests. There's a community around the Lamb of God in heaven, not Israelites, but people who've been rescued by the death of the Lamb, Jesus. One day we'll be among them if we know him. God provides a way for us to be able to approach him. To know his presence, to be in relationship with him. And that whole theme runs right through the Bible from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation chapter 5 and on. It's a really big idea. God's passion then, his love for people. He resolves this problem of how do we approach a holy God. He has this plan for us to come near because of the sacrifice of the lamb. Now again, imagine you're an Israelite. Just imagine that for a moment. Whoever you were, just watching it. So God is part of your life. It's not just the priests, you see. It's your animal. Even if you were poor, you had a personal stake in it. You had your part to play. You weren't just watching what other people did. It wasn't to be a spectator religion. And that's the same for us, as we'll see, as we look next week and the week after. People got really involved in the sacrifices that they were bringing. It wasn't a spectator thing. And it's the same for us. We're each of us invited into relationship with God for ourselves not simply watching what others do. We don't have, you know, any more than the Israelites were just watching what the priests did. They were involved in it too. So too for us. We're invited into relationship with God for ourselves. Not watching what others do. And as we shall think about the offerings of worship and praise and prayer and all those things that, that we do in our walk with God. It's not about watching the musicians do it or what, hearing the preacher preach or, or, or you know, being really glad that a few people are bothering to go to a prayer, prayer time. No, we're all invited to completely engage, to fully participate, not to be spectators, not just to be watching it. We're free to come because God has provided a way for us to draw close to him. He can forgive us whilst not clearing the guilty, as he says, because someone else has paid. A sacrifice has been made. We're free to come and find forgiveness because of Jesus. And to know his rescue, and to know that relationship, and to know his presence, it's possible for each of us, when any of you, he says, comes. Do you know that? Is it time to step from just being a spectator to saying, yeah, I can't just watch it any longer. I just, this needs to be part of my life. Well, maybe today's a good day to say that to God. To turn from what's wrong in your life. To come and receive the forgiveness Jesus offers and begin that new life with him. Talk to somebody about that today. Pray with someone about that. And if we know it, are we, are we kind of treating it a bit like a spectator thing? Are we engaged in worship and service and love and adoration? All the things that we're meant to be engaged in. Do we live like people who know that way? Let's draw near. Let's know God's way. And let's know it in the whole of our lives, whatever we're doing this week for his glory. Amen.
Okay, well, um, there's a band come up to lead us in a few songs of response. Um, let's just bow our heads for a bit and um, consider what God is, is staying to us today. Perhaps we're um, feeling distant from God, thinking, you know, how can I possibly come, come near to God? You know, he wouldn't want me. God says, come near. And if you're feeling like a spectator, watching others worship, Jesus says, come near. I want your worship. I want to know you. I want you to know me. Well, fortunately, we have the blood of Jesus covering us, and he has made a way for us to enter. Father, we thank you that you have made a way, that we can go into the holy of holies, a place where you are so holy and so perfect, and yet we can go in without fear, We praise you for all that Jesus has done. That we are completely covered in Jesus. And that when you look on us, Jesus, you don't see our sin and our shame, but you see, God, you see you. You see someone made right with you. Thank you, God, that you are just, but you're also, your love is so great and you love us so much that you've done everything possible to make a way. And we thank you for that way. Amen.